Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast where we discuss the artists, themes, and processes that define, as well as delightfully disrupt, the world of contemporary photography. My name is Asha Iman Veal, and I'm Associate Curator at the Museum of Contemporary Photography here at Columbia College, Chicago. Today, we are so excited to introduce this special episode of Focal Point Live. The episode originally aired in June 2022 as a virtual program of the annual Photo España Festival held in Madrid, Spain. It was a delight to be part of the festival and participating from Chicago in the United States. This episode and conversation of the podcast brought together two tremendous humans and photographers, Siza cruz Picani and Jason Reblando. In addition to vast practices and bodies of work, they each have very specific projects that discuss experiences of the Filipino diaspora. So in We Are Like Air, which is on view right now at MOCP, um, Siza, you chronicle the migration and domestic labor experience in Hong Kong of your mother, Georgia. I am big time team Georgia, love Georgia. Um, this visual story spans two countries, three generations, and two families. Yeah, team Georgia is happy to have you. <laughs> Good, I'm glad, I'm glad. Um, so Siza, you also just graduated from a master's program at NYU as well, yes? Yay, finally. Yeah, finally. What have you been what have you been studying and researching and what are you else are you up to professionally these days? I know it's a lot. Um so uh, my program is called Arts and Politics. So it's about the intersection of art and politics in our daily lives. So it's a lot of theories. Um every ism we've learned about those Marxism, name it, every ism at the you know, in this planet. But uh, one thing that is uh, that I'm fascinated with with the program was it actually connected me more to the Philippines because the things that I've learned when I was well, when I was younger in the Philippines, it kind of like reaffirmed some of the my beliefs and also made me question more about what's means to be a Filipino in today's world. So I have a paper called um, How the Scar, Scars Still Bleed. So it's about the residues of colonization focusing on the billion dollar whitening industry. So it's such a lot of tears on that papers, <laughs> on those papers. And then um, right now I'm currently working on the criminal justice system of United States which is, I will tell you about it when, when we have like, you know, voice message over what yes. <laughs> I was like, so what topic are we going to like talk about here in America? And then I chose one of the most problematic, yeah. which is like the criminal justice system. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been um, working on lately. Thank you. And again, for anyone who's not familiar with you, you've been um, working as a documentary photographer for such a long time. You've been acknowledged by the BBC, Forbes, CNN, everyone you've showed all over the world. Um, solo shows, group shows, you're in print everywhere. So it really is tremendous to have you. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Jason. So your series, Home and Away, um, investigates the diaspora as well as a broader meditation on notions of belonging and place. Um, so you're thinking about a deeper understanding of historical Spanish, Japanese, and also American colonization of the Philippines. Um, where are you zooming in from and what are you up to today? off camera other than your road trip what are you doing professionally these days um so i am an assistant professor of photography at illinois state and i'm currently zooming in from Bellrica, massachusetts uh, about 40 more 40 minutes north of boston and visiting my my wife's family here uh just for the week and then we're going to head back to the midwest today and uh so professionally you know the summertime is work time uh when, when we're not teaching and 
I've been trying to visit uh, archives um, and do research on uh, photographs that were made during the American colonial period in, in the Philippines. Um, so this week I was uh, visiting the Peabody Museum at Harvard University, and I had plans to visit uh, University of Michigan in a couple of weeks. And over the winter, I was visiting uh, Huntington Library in California and University of California, Riverside, the California Museum of Photography, uh, the Newbury Library in Chicago. So there, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of photography out there about the American colonial period. <laughs> not, not all. I mean, it, it is very. Uh, some of it's very banal, and some of it's very, uh, very upsetting. Um, and I've been trying to, to uh, just touch, to understand the role of photography during that time, trying to understand the role of colonialism and how, uh, how it has affected the world's perception of the Philippines, but also uh, the Philippines, Filipinos' perception of the Philippines and how that it, it all kind of uh, kind of goes back on each other kind of uh, re reflexively and trying to understand my role as a photographer, trying to document and understand uh, the Philippine diaspora and myself as part of the diaspora. So that's what I'm trying to, that's what's been part of my work and been kind of buzzing around in my mind recently. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And again, for anyone who's not familiar, again, you're someone who's been exhibiting wide and far in print. And also you have this amazing research practice that's been sponsored by several prestigious government awards um, to travel and do what you do. So thank you for being here today. Thanks. Wonderful. Um, so today we'd like to begin the conversation in the style of Focal Point, the MOCP podcast. Um, and we will begin actually looking at a work that is not your own that you um, have picked out from our permanent collection that is somehow inspiring to you or connects to your practice. We'd love to start maybe with Saiza. Would you like to share the image and let us know why it's important to you? I'm looking at an image from the kitchen table of Karim May Wims, which is one of my favorite photographers of all time. So the kitchen table series comes with poetic texts from Kari. And the reason why I love this this series itself, not just the, the image, is because she took control of the narrative of female identity, relationships, and the different layers of being in part of the world where it's male-dominated. In this photo that I'm looking at, I, I see Carrie Mae Wims in the middle, and there are three children that are her daughters. By the way, these images are um, posts or stage. And I, I see her looking at one of her daughters while the daughters play cards. And there's a book. Or is it a book? Or is it like she's making a list of maybe a budget or something? Because I can't see it properly. But it, it shows a very typical scene in a, in a household. But it was really powerful for me because it shows the relationship of the three children and the and the burdens of motherhood that we don't usually uh, see. It also shows how the children are very much unaware of what what's happening with with Carrie. At the middle, they're not aware of what their mother is doing, but they're more focused on playing. And we spoke about how mothers are trying to protect their children by not telling them the reality of life in migration and so this one resonated with me a lot this is my favorite carrie may weems is one of my favorite photographers of all time she's amazing she's a 
poet she's lyrical she took control of the narrative and that's my goal <laughs> in life i was like i have to take control of the narrative before other people tell my narrative you know as a female as a woman of color it's time for us to tell our stories because the colonizers keep telling our stories, like researching about our background. Almost everything has been told through the colonizers lens and with technology and the, when the way the world evolved where everyone have a, a, a cell phone, I, I don't feel threatened by that. I am actually very happy about that because finally we can actually tell our own narrative like uh, Carrie Mae Wim's uh have done with 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 the kitchen uh table series um she also and you know for me this series also empowers me to um develop my own voice like it also made me feel like i ma i matter my voice matters so um if you can see at the photo as well um uh it talk, also talks about motherhood because there's like a little girl, her children uh, on this series. So I'm drawn to the relationship of a mother and a child. I've always been drawn because of my life experiences working as a domestic worker worker, and being a child a part of this, um, I call us a special group of children who are left behind because of migration. And then thinking about Kitchen Table and Carrie Mae Weems, it's another woman of color who appears to be able to be with her family, but it's interesting one generation before that, she wouldn't have been able to actually be with her kids either. She would have been, you know, her mother would have been taking care of someone else's family. Um, so it's, yeah, it's super interesting to see this. Thank you. The picture that I chose from the select, from the collection is a uh, Nikki S. Lee, um, the Yuppie Project. And, uh, I'll describe the photo. Uh, the picture I chose to talk about is called the Yuppie Product Number Four, um, and the photo is of two well-dressed women in front of a high-end storefront, and they're bent over a leashed, small, curly-haired dog, and posing and smiling for the camera. Uh, they're centered in the frame. Uh, one woman is Asian, and she's carrying a signature robin egg blue shopping bag from Tiffany's, and is holding the dog's leash. And the other woman is Caucasian, uh, petting the dog with the right hand, and the other hand is holding a black shopping bag from Barney's of New York. Um, and there's an orange digital time date stamp on the corner uh, that self says 12-23-98. So it's like it's uh, Christmas season, Christmas shopping season, like 98. And that was a uh, that time date stamp was a common point and shoot feature. Um, in the, of cameras in the 1990s. And there's a harsh flash. Uh, you can see a harsh flash on the, uh, in the back end of the window, uh, reflecting off the glass of the, the store's revolving door. And um, I chose this image and by extension, Nikki S. Lee's entire project series, uh, where she uses a point and shoot camera and kind of a vernacular style of photograph in which she adopts the dress, the hairstyles, the gestures, and surroundings of various subcultures. Um, she, Nikki S. Lee, embeds herself in different communities and befriends the people in that community. Uh, and the resulting bodies of work, such as the uh, resulting in bodies of work, such as the Yuppie Project, the Ohio Project, the Elderly Project, the Skateboarders Project, and the Exotic Dancers Project. Um, and I was thinking a lot about, uh, I usually 
I'll, I'll show this this uh, project to students, and I'll usually talk about it in terms of uh, in terms of performance and clothing and stereotypes. Like, what 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 does it take to be a yuppie? What does it take to be uh, to be a skateboarder? Um, and how one can uh, identify oneself with uh, with a group. Um, uh, but more recently, I've been thinking about it specifically in terms of the, the malleability of how we perform identity. Um, and more specifically, how I, it feels like uh, Filipinos are known for being adaptable to many situations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about nature versus nurture and how it feels like the Filipino identity is formed by and dependent upon uh, traversing borders, uh, always from somewhere else, uh, from one reason or another. But it does feel like this, the status of Asians in America, it always feels like we're never fully he from here. Even though I was born here, never really from here. It's like uh, people are always asking, where, where are you from? Where are you from? Um, and I'll say, I'll often say, you know, I was born in New York, uh, but my, my family's from the Philippines. And then that will, uh, you know, I, that will guide the conversation. And I'll, I'll want to steer the conversation a certain way. Thank you so much, Jason. I have so many thoughts and questions, but I know that you two were so excited to speak with each other as well. So I'm curious um, between Saiza and Jason, what would you ask each other? What would you see? I mean, I'm, I'm curious, Zaisa. As far as the access goes, how the uh, the employers of the people that you're documenting, how they uh, respond to the images and how they respond to your presence. Um, and is that, I mean, I'm, I always ask about accessibility and, and how people get those amazing pictures. <laughs> and I'm wondering um, uh, what obstacles you've had to overcome. Accessing the Filipino diaspora um, because we're friendly people, right? <laughs> we're pretty much very welcoming. It was easy, but um, when it comes to the employers, I have to really show credentials. And mm -hmm. um, uh, I was very uh, fortunate that in Hong Kong, most of these employers know the process of my work already, even be because they've read about it or they've seen my, my work. So a lot of them are actually excited <laughs> photographing uh, photographing uh, their home so i was i was really welcome into their homes when it comes to other countries i do think that um even in the philippines the only way for me to get the access is be direct and truthful on where the images will end up because <laughs> it, it's very normal for people to to ask that like so where is it gonna use will i see my face on a billboard so i always protect the moral rights of the people that i photograph i'm very big on copyrights because i do think that we uh photographers artists should uh fight for it but i also fight for moral rights of the images which means the images cannot be used out of context because it can destroy the lives of the people that collaborated with me. So um, yeah, um, access wise, I was fortunate and I never take no for an answer. <laughs> uh, right. They'll find me sitting on the in front of their or whatever, waiting for them in, the, in their building until they say yes. I have done that in Singapore. I was like, just waiting for like an, for a whole day until they were like, oh, you're still here you're serious and then they, they let me in because they thought that you know like 
uh, photography can also be very damaging. We, we cannot deny that. It can. It's very powerful. It can empower or it can destroy. And so a lot of people are very um, sensitive when it comes to privacy. So I do think that being truthful and to establish trust between uh, me and the person is really important from the beginning. And I, I mentioned about moral rights a lot. Yeah. I love the photo of the cassette tape because that's how my father communicated with us when he was in Saudi Arabia yeah he sends these voice messages to my mom and to us and to to my grandmother and because there's no cell phone back then it made me feel old because I still remember that thing but and (laughs) and so I was like oh I wish I have one of those still so it's like that's uh that's incredible um and you know, I, I I'm wondering how uh, when I was in Hong Kong, I would see people you know uh, FaceTiming and or or Facebook messengering over video, um, and I would ask folks uh, when's the last time you spoke to your family, and go, oh, just like like right like today, th- th- today's my day to talk to. <laughs> and I thought it would you know I think technology makes things a little you know it softens the blow, but it's still you know it's not like not like being there. Um, but, uh, I'll bet that, you know, uh, only a generation ago, people were doing cassette tapes and it wasn't so easy to, uh, to communicate. Yeah. I, I, the, when my mom left us, when I was eight, the first time I've heard of her was like after two to three months in a letter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not even like a phone call. He, she just sent a photo of her and I think it was on my book it was I have that photo because bless my mom she's an amazing archivist of everything so she archived those images that she sent us the first time and she was still in Singapore and you know having your mom disappear for three months was really traumatic for an eight-year-old and then when you received the photo of her it was Christmas time she was like holding a gift and looking happy with a Christmas tree in the background and the first thing that I felt was resentment like I, I, I was in pain because my mother was gone for three months and then, then suddenly received this letter with a photo of her looking happy the the child in me did not understand that it was just performative I didn't know that she was traffic in Singapore but that's the way she protected us she never told us until we were adults so I only learned about it this when I started actually doing the book she was like oh I don't want to talk about Singapore it was traffic there and I was like what so it was insane how how migrants are my one of my questions is like are we really communicating with each other because I you mentioned that technology has helped a lot right but then it's also damaging in a way that it's creating miscommunications between parents and between mothers and their children. Because when they call them, they don't tell them the truth. They, they post all these amazing, beautiful photos in Hong Kong with the Bulgari in the background, but without them sitting on the floor. So the, the mindset of the kid receiving these images, seeing it on Facebook or social media is like, oh, so you went there because you want to have a better life without me. So that's the, the mindset of, of kids who are being left behind. So one of the questions that I'm exploring is, are we really communicating with each other or there's a, a 
a layer of miscommunication that is happening because we're trying to protect each other from the pain and trauma of migration. Yeah, the, I think the uh, kind of the the positive public facing persona is important to to, uh, to uphold, mm -hmm. um, even though, like, I'm not sure if families like. <laughs> Like the, the the guilt is there already. Like 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 the guilt as far as like I'm here, you're there. Um, I, I I may as well uh, put on a happy face for them instead of telling them like the 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 uh, the, the whole truth. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and and I, th I think that's probably uh, a good thing. I mean, I, I, I probably do some form of that every day. But the I don't know. I I think the the social consequences of of the uh, of the overseas Filipino Filipino worker phenomenon is not only family separated but it's like you know the families back home um, are they being provided for uh, I, I remember hearing stories about kids being spoiled just kind of waiting for the remittances and and kind of blowing it and some people um, you know, people can spend money however much, however they want. Um, and those houses, uh, those vacant houses, some people, I was talking to a social worker, the social worker was thinking, why, why build a house when you can invest in education? Um, and, uh, and I was talking to, uh, to a sociologist and she was like, oh, well, it's a, it's saving a place in their community. It's a reminder that it's not just, a, it's not a status symbol, not just a status symbol. It, it's a, it's a symbol that they're going to come home. They're going to come home eventually. Uh, don't forget about me. And uh, and I thought that was a, a really interesting observation. I do think that as long as the Philippines see, even the government see migration as like um, a way, the, the way the Philippine government uh, uh, or the Philippine society itself see migration as a step up, <laughs> or it's something like a status almost. I don't think that that that's one of the biggest drive why people are building those houses. Mm -hmm. That's one of those, like if you're from a small town like mine, if you say, oh, my mother is in abroad, people will see you like, oh my God, they have money. So if there's no shift, even with the government on the way they exploit migrant workers, the way they want all these remittances to be in the Philippines. It always makes me angry when I learn the bureaucracy. I know the bureaucracy because I went through that, but I was protected because, you know, I shortcutted some of it because of my former employer. By the way, I work as a domestic worker in Hong Kong for 10 years. So I know the feeling of being one of them because I am one of them. Anyway, so as the way they exploit and... um uh, extort money from migrant workers it's insane the philippine government is not doing a great job with it until now they're like forcing them to pay for insurances that they will not even use because they're not in the philippines so they it's almost like even the air that migrant workers need to like inhale they have to pay for it even the fact that they have to go back home to see their families, they have to pay for paperwork to be able to go back home. Why is that? So I always like 
it always makes me angry right now just thinking about it, it makes my blood boil like when will the when will the government stop this practice of seeing the 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 migrant workers are as cash cows when will the government realize that we're building a community of left behind children who are growing up as an adult without the love and care of a parent how can you expect a full rounded adult when you take away that basic need that a child needs to grow up as a better human being when they become an adult so there's a lot of like psych psychological factor to it as well I think the government will realize that when there's a worldwide strike, <laughs> when they, when people stop returning that money, which is ten percent of the you know at least ten percent of the GDP, yeah. that's when they'll they'll say maybe we should think twice about maybe we should think twice about having uh, having jobs in the country so people aren't forced to migrate, um, and to I think it's very manipulative of the government to call them national heroes. Um, and I would, I would ask people, it's like, oh, what, what do you think about them being called a national hero? And, uh, and a worker would say, I'm not doing it for the Philippines. I'm like, I'm doing it for my family. <laughs> like what, uh, this isn't a sense of patriotism that, that that's forcing me abroad. Um, it seems like such a moment, Jason and Saiza, um, we have several questions from the audience that are directly based on what you're saying now. Um, people have asked if workers that are going abroad from the Philippines come from a particular region or if it is everywhere. Um, people are asking for you each how your families view your work, what types of conversations you have with them. They're also pointing out that you, you know, photograph other people's families, sometimes your own family. They are curious, again, these things, um, your own experiences that maybe you don't share, which I think you are sharing right now. Um, but they're curious about that decision, as well as choosing photography over another artistic medium. Um, why you feel this is the way that you have decided to work as an artist um, and as someone who practices in documentary. And also, um, you know, thinking about photography and art, are these ways, which I think they are, to help communities begin to recognize generational experience and trauma, for lack of a better term, and to begin to really speak about that and maybe move past it. I'm asking you all the questions at once. Please, anything that resonates, feel free to pop in. You know, I, I could speak to to one part of the question as far as uh, the, pe people come from all over the Philippines um, uh, to go abroad. And it, I think through, through word of mouth, I think certain areas, and I'm only speaking to the, uh, from my interactions uh, of the folks who went to, uh, to Milan. It's like once there's a, there's a, there's a family that starts going to Milan, um, there's a, there's a connection, and then there's people there in Milan. Um, so it's like, oh, I, I know someone there. I'll go there also, and then we'll build houses uh, back in the Philippines. <laughs> so there's the, the picture of Mesa. Um, she's standing in front of her new modern house, and across the street was her brother's house, and across the, uh, the next to that was her sister's house. <laughs> they were all in Milan. <laughs> They're all in Italy. Um, and, uh, I, I, I thought that was, I'm like, what is happening? What is happening in the world? Um, so, uh, so, but, but I think, but I do think it's, it's because of family, they, they end up in, uh, uh, certain regions gravitate towards certain areas of the world. Um, yeah, I can question, like, I, I can answer the question about how my family view my work. <laughs> they still think I'm jobless. <laughs> <laughs> 
they still think I don't do anything because you know I'm not a I did not came from a family of like artists but I do think that my parents are very creative they just don't know it that what they're doing is actually an act of being an artist but um it's it's funny how uh when I show them my work because they're we're my mother's like the epitome of an Asian mama. Like if I say, "Oh, I'm doing this body of work about this," the first question he will she will ask me is like, "Are they paying you for that?" And if I say no, it's like a fashion project. And then she's like, "Why aren't you not working?" So um, my my family is very funny in that way, and um, they still think that I'm jobless and not doing anything. But they're very proud of what I do, and they do think that. When I did my, we are like air. They're actually excited. My parents especially are very excited because my mom never thought that I would, uh, uh, um, document her story because she felt that it was an ordinary story. Like eh, it's an ordinary story. Millions of women went through it. I'm like, no, it's a special story. So my mom, my mother, and my father felt seen when I've done. We are like air. And so for me, that's like an amazing feeling to make your parents who came from a family or, or or their ancestors were unseen for the longest time. And then suddenly they're like being seen. And that's such a huge deal for them. I think I can uh, talk about how my family views it. I, th I think we're we are learning together. I learned about overseas Filipino workers in my first visit to the Philippines. And yeah, you know, I feel just totally ashamed saying that just because I, the only Filipinos that I knew were the ones I grew up with and they were, you know, they were doctors and accountants and, um, and nurses. Uh, but I, I didn't think about uh, the Philippines as a country. Uh, I knew that I was from there, um, but I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what else a 15 year old would think about in, on Long Island. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, uh, but the, uh, it's been an education for for me, but you know I have a brother who works in the in the cruise industry. He's like a, a kind of a, a banker person in the in the cruise industry, and he interacts with a lot of Filipinos on cruises. Um, and I was like, I was, I was like, oh my gosh! It's like I I know I, like I, I I'm learning about overseas Filipino workers in uh, in all sorts of situations and there's a there's a large population of seafarers um uh who have their own they kind of have their own office uh it's it's, it's like slightly different than the overseas filipino workers but um so it's been kind of an education in in economics and migration and sociology and and political science for for all of us uh and i think they uh they appreciate it and and often uh, I have extended family who's who's uh, helping me out um, and and filling in uh, lots of blanks for me. Um, but you know, I, I I don't begrudge them if they don't know what uh, what I do day to day. Um, and uh, for all I know, you know, my mom might think I'm I'm in medical school. That's why I tell her. <laughs> I love it. So for me, one other thing, just kind of condensing things from. Yeah, that I've seen in the chat that I'm thinking myself as well. Um, the title of the exhibition currently on view at MOCP, Beautiful Diaspora, You Are Not the Lesser Part, um, two titles, one show. It's been interesting um, in feedback from people who come in and someone said once, you know, beautiful diaspora. When I think about diaspora, 
I don't think I've actually ever heard it called beautiful. And I think something that's so interesting, you know, it's one of those terms, diaspora, that's come into the vernacular over time. It started out really specifically thinking about the Jewish diaspora. It um, expanded into the transatlantic slave, and then it expanded into so many communities just based on this time period in which we live. And I'm curious for you, Saiza and Jason, when you think beautiful diaspora, what does that mean for you? Um, again, I think so many stories are forced um, labor. So many stories are breaking families apart, but there's still that strength. But I think there's still that beauty. Um, mm -hmm. And I wonder if we end just thinking about for you, what is that beauty of diaspora? I I really love how uh, the title, like when you say beautiful diaspora, it reminds me of home. Because no matter how difficult, challenging is to be a Filipino, I am still a Filipino. And being called beautiful, like my diaspora is beautiful reminded me of the beauty of being a filipino and how proud i am of where i came from and the color of my skin of everything to be proud of like i i really love that the title itself it it shows um you know when someone calls you beautiful it makes you feel better it makes you feel good and so when 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 I when we were talking about the title of the exhibit was and you said beautiful diaspora, it made me feel good about who I am, who I was, and who I will be because somehow we're taking over that narrative of our diaspora that our circumstances, our difficulties, being colonized and all there's still beauty in us, and the reason we were colonized is because we are beautiful. And I love that. So you made me feel good when you told me about the title of the exhibition. And until now, when you when you say it, I was like, oh my God, such, you know, I feel beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> you are beautiful. You are beautiful, my friend. Thank you. I mean, I, I think uh, I feel really, when I think about the title, I, I think about connections, mm -hmm. uh, about, about uh, connections like all around the world where Filipinos are, uh, but not only towards other Filipinos, but toward, towards other people that are part of a diaspora, whether it be the, the Jewish diaspora or the African diaspora, that we're all from someplace. Even white people are all from someplace. And um, I think people, I, I think it would be a, a good reminder to, uh, to, to, you know, to think that, that everyone has, has come from difficult circumstances. And, uh, but I, you know, but by a particular, particularly appreciate uh, being connected to uh, this conversation and photography and how uh, the, the chance to think about photography's role in documenting the diaspora. Um, it's been, you know, I, I continue to think about it and it's going to has changed the way I think about my, my own art practice. Thank you, Saiza. Thank you, Jason. It's been an honor. Thank you to Photo Espana. Um, thank you to our Focal Point team here at MOCP and Columbia College Chicago. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Zavi Music. Thank you, WCRX, Kristen Taylor. Um, please visit mocp.org, Focal Point. Look us up on social media. Look Siza and Jason up on social media. And it's really been a delight to share the space with you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. So thank you. It was really an honor. Thanks. Thank you. Once again, thank you to our audience for listening to Focal Point. Focal Point is presented by the Museum of Contemporary Photography at Columbia College Chicago in partnership with WCRX-FM. Special thanks to the WCRX team, Matt Cunningham and Matthew Burton. An additional thanks, our music is by Zavi.
To see the MOCP collection's photographic images discussed today, please visit mocp.org backslash focal point. You can also follow the museum on Facebook and Instagram at MOCPshy and on Twitter at MOCP underscore Chicago. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Focal Point anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>